A brief programming update. At the time of recording this interview with Raphael, their company has undergone a rebrand and is now known as Judy Security. Michigan Rise Pre-Seed Fund 3 is proud to be a sponsor of Michigan Venture Capital Association's podcast series, Michigan VC Talk. Michigan Rise was founded in 2020 with support from the Michigan State University Foundation and the Michigan Economic Development Corporation to invest in early stage high-tech startups. This funding enables Michigan tech companies with high growth potential to meet near-term milestones and raise downstream funding for future growth. Michigan Rise partners with MVCA members focused on the earliest stages of commercialization to identify and support high potential technology startups across Michigan with capital, mentoring, assistance with grant funding, and more. To learn more about Michigan Rise, visit www.michiganrise.com. Welcome to Michigan VC Talk. This is Ara Tapuzian. I am the Executive Director of Michigan Venture Capital Association. On today's podcast, I have the pleasure to speak with Rafael Matone, former CIO of Duo Security and current founder and CEO of Detroit-based Adea Security. Rafael's strategic thinking and effective leadership have been instrumental and paramount in his career as an IT sales and operations professional. I talked with Rafael about his rich background, we even talk about pizza, as well as Adea Security, which is a cybersecurity company that offers cybersecurity software solutions for small and medium-sized businesses. Join me now as I talk to Rafael. Rafael, it is great to talk to you today, and thanks for being on our program. Uh, thanks for having me. It's an honor. I uh, really appreciate being here and sharing some of our uh, insights and stories. Yeah, and you definitely have some good ones, so we're going to certainly get to all of that. Let's first talk about your background. Um, born in Michigan, is that right? I was, yeah, correct. Okay, and um, college and all that fun stuff, what would you do in college? Uh, so I went to Eastern Michigan University, uh, graduated as a communications major, and uh, decided that, uh, at least back in the 90s, I didn't want to stay in Michigan and work for some of the industries that were here or my uncle's uh, pizza place. And so I uh, moved to Texas and got my first job at uh, Dell Computers um, and uh, really got my first taste of a tech company uh that was on a trajectory to grow fairly quickly yeah so that that's kind of the you know uh but definitely deep roots here in michigan um my family were all still here even though i got to globe trot around the, the globe with many of my uh companies that i worked for um so yeah and they're still making and they're still making pizza uh they are yeah it's amazing still, pizza uh so, it is yeah, amazing it is amazing pizza <laughs> uh, we're, we're not going to tell people what it is because we're going right. to make them look it up but yeah. it is amazing pizza. There's no question about that. But, you know, that leads into a little bit, you know, before we talk about like your experience um, working at Dell and, and and where that led you really had kind of entrepreneurship in your blood. My family's from Italy. So just thinking that my dad and his brothers decided to pick up and move to Michigan uh, yeah. because in the 70s, that's where all the jobs were um, and have that entrepreneurial spirit just in general of trying to make it in the U S but yeah, they, they each started their own businesses. Um, and 
we all learned that, you know, hard work and the ups and downs of owning your own business was just a natural thing in our family. Um, I mean, that was my first job. I was, you know, 13. And when you're a family member, you can work at 13. So I was making pizzas (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, doing the work like, uh, like everyone else. That's pretty awesome. So you go to Dell. So you move out of Michigan, you go to Dell. What, what kind of work were you doing there? Because uh, you weren't, um, you weren't doing high tech work necessarily at Dell. No, I was doing sales. So Dell's methodology was um, because they were growing so fast in Austin, Texas, and they couldn't find resources. This is when Austin was still small. Um, That they went out and hired bartenders, uh, retail individuals that had good communication skills. And I was bartending part time. um, And that's how I met my boss. Uh, He said, you have great communication skills. You'd be a great salesperson. Um, and we can train you on the technology stuff. So that's what they did. They taught me all the things about a computer. Um, and then I went and sold it. Um, and so I started in a consumer space and then moved to small and medium sized businesses um, and watched some of the coolest companies come through our queue during the dot com uh, phase yep. and uh, was very happy to get some of those orders as they were ordering their servers and setting up all their technology um, and, you know, have that explosive growth. So um yeah it was definitely sales um and that was where i felt very comfortable um and then moved over to a little company moved to dallas and started at a company called mcafee Uh, they were a point product under network general again started in sales uh stayed there for 11 years um and because you know you get comfortable in a company and as it starts to grow and go global um, I moved into operations and then I kind of fell into IT. Um, I had this with this leader who felt like you can hire technical individuals, but you can't hire that person that can engage between the business and IT um, and be that conduit for success, especially on projects or deployment of software applications, which is where I was at. So, so um, far, so far, we've gone from pizza to computers <laughs> and now we're kind of slowly going into security space a little bit what was after McAfee? um i left after the intel acquisition and moved to fireeye which was yep. my real taste of a startup um and they were uh growing fairly quickly we grew to 3000 employees went ipo in a 3 year period mm-hmm. um and it was an amazing experience really that hardware. So I went from software back to hardware side right. of cybersecurity. Um, and then like all good Midwestern kids, I got homesick. Uh, parents were getting, you, you know, missed getting the older pizza. and I missed the pizza. That's for sure. Um, yeah. Although, you know, if there's any Texas listeners, I missed the chips and salsa um, yeah. in Texas, but <laughs> we, we don't have that up here, but uh, yeah, I uh, moved back and I met uh, Doug and the duo team and joined duo security as CIO. Um, and stayed until the Cisco acquisition. Um, and that was an amazing almost four years uh, watching, again, the growth from a startup to a global company um, and really taught me a lot of things. But, you know, I think all four organizations from the beginning of pizza to hardware to software and cybersecurity, you always saw things through the lens of a small business, small, medium sized yeah. business owner. And how maybe the technology, the processes, or whatever was out there in the world didn't really look through their lens. And that's why we started a day of security. 
So right before that, though, let's let's just kind of touch on on Duo Security for a minute and, and Doug Song's uh, company. And um, I think everybody in Michigan that knows about um, entrepreneurship and venture capital and and you name it knows the the good work that's gone on at at Duo. Uh, Raphael, how revolutionary was it at the time? You know, to be part of Duo in Michigan, like we're not. We're not Silicon Valley, right? Um, but how important was that for both, you know, Duo to become what it became and and to be acquired at the time? I came from Silicon Valley. So even though yeah. I was living in Texas, right, our headquarters for McAfee and um, FireEye were in Silicon Valley. I, one, loved the product as, you know, when I was working at um FireEye, which was important to me. It was simple, it was easy, and it created a level of protection I had not seen before. Um, and two, when I came back, you know, we talked about it heavily, and Doug believed it as well. Like being in Michigan was a huge advantage because if you know you'd done if you, you do a startup on the west or the east coast, you're kind of a pebble, right? In this big ocean of tech companies. But here was this amazing company. Um, I believe they were already at 20 or 30 million when I joined that was headquartered in Detroit, I mean, in Michigan. And, and uh, it just was unheard of. And, you know, and so, but if you, for those of us that are here, you kind of yeah. go, but all the engineers are coming out of our universities and many of them don't want to leave. And, you know, the, the, the ties were changing here in Michigan that you could start to see, technology becoming another uh, sector for Michigan. Yep. And obviously we're seeing that now four to five years later. So it was a huge advantage. I, I mean, no matter where we went or how we discussed the product or customers, they were, it was almost like refreshing to them that we were in Michigan because yep. of those, that Midwest approach. Um, um, and that we weren't one of the dime of dozens and that, you know, that bubble in Silicon Valley, nothing wrong with that. I do believe though, it, it put that spotlight on duo, um, yep. in a way that no one else was doing this because everyone kept saying, even when I left duo, oh, you should go do it in, uh, you know, Texas or California or New York. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to stay in Michigan. It's an advantage to be in Michigan. You may not see it yet, but we see it on the day to day. Um, and it really does help with hiring, um, how you can or, um, receive um, investments. Um, and then customers love that companies are in Michigan or where we're at, which is downtown Detroit. And so it's a yeah. huge advantage, past and going into the future. I, and I really do think it says something about yourself and, and folks like Doug. I mean, you, 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 you built something here and you stayed here. Um, and then you're rebuilding something new. I mean, so out of duo for you comes Adea. So let's talk about your company, your your current company, and um, tell our listeners what you do with Adea. Yeah, so we built an all-in-one solution named Judy. So yep. small and medium-sized businesses can't afford the 3,500-point products that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, they're not going to put together seven different companies' products and maintain it themselves. Many companies below 500 employees barely have an IT person, let alone a cybersecurity specialist that's going to log in to each of those point products and maintain 
update or review to see if there's any any breaches. So we knew we were onto something after year one and started our POC of what is now Judy with some of our design partners um, because they felt like they were being left behind and they were. And everyone was focusing and has been focusing on the enterprise. So with Judy, you get all the pillars that are necessary to not only protect your brand and your data, but more importantly, protect your revenue stream. We know small businesses work with enterprise, government agencies, hospitals, universities. We see it in almost every conversation that their revenue is likely tied to those larger organizations. And those organizations now are saying, you have to be secure the same way we are, right? Which can create a disadvantage for small and medium-sized businesses because here they have a hundred or a million dollar contract with the university. And all of a sudden through the RFP process, they're told you don't have the right security tools. So we can't have you connect into our world and they lose the deal, right? And so that's where Judy comes in. We've had many customers who are trying to scramble to pull something together and realizing they can't afford it or they're never going to be able to maintain it, immediately deploy Judy and check all the boxes and then pass the audit with those larger organizations. And so that is what we built. And we are firm that we're focusing on small and medium-sized businesses. Um, There are 32 million of them just in the United States. And in doing so, we're even turning it upside down on pricing. You know, if you go buy something, um, at, you know, as a larger organization, you get the big, big discount. That's great. But we're all in on small businesses. So we price it in a way that they can afford it. And we have no gimmicks. So it's unlimited devices. If you have 10 devices, I have five devices. It's the same price. Right. Um, there's no project fees. There's no data set fees. All those things that could have been a hindrance to them, even in the purchasing process, we removed those barriers so that they can move quickly and afford Judy as a solution. You know, it's interesting, you know, when we talk about cybersecurity, it seems like we're talking about it much more now than we had 10, 15 years ago, yet it was around 10, 15 years ago. I mean, you you worked at McAfee, which is, you know, in essence, a company trying to protect our personal computers, right, with with, um, software. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's really ramped up because I think um, uh, the bad guys have probably ramped up you know, their, their work. When you talk to a small business and if small business comes to you and says, Hey, Raphael, I need, I need some assistance. You go through, do you provide them sort of like an audit where you go through and, and, and sort of see where they are and find out where their vulnerabilities are? What do you, how do you walk through that with them? Yeah. So we sell through channel partners. I should mention that. So our channel partners do have the ability to do a scan of all their systems and their network and have an output report that explains where they might be missing some of the pieces of the puzzle that they should have. Um, back to your your other item about, you know, it's always, uh, cybersecurity has always been around, but the technology has really transformed over the last five to eight years. Right. And if you look at who's always at the forefront in technology, it's small businesses, right? Yeah. You're not going to have a big, huge 10,000 employee company move quickly on a new SaaS application. They might, but they're not going to be first, right? So that's even why you see a lot of tech companies go and work with small businesses as they're building out their products and then get to that enterprise level, right? They they 
So with the way technology has changed, even us personally, how we've changed, right? Um, even before the pandemic, but now with the pandemic, everything we do is on our little phones. Um, all of our information is sitting yeah. in those phones or our laptops or desktops. And, you know, the bad guys and gals out there, they can still try to breach those larger organizations. And they are. We can see it in the press releases. Right. But to test things out or what could be more lucrative and under the radar, it is small and medium-sized businesses. You, you know, have um, uh, very valuable data uh, in your computer. Who are you interacting with? What uh, financial information do you have of other organization or investors, right? So the employee size number has no relevance anymore. Right. It, we all know that small and medium-sized companies could have millions and millions of dollars in the bank. The likelihood that they breach your bank account, though, above 250000 which is when the FBI gets involved, is very right. low. But a slow drip that you're not paying you're not paying attention to right. um, is is an easy way, right? Um, or breaching the financial person in your organization with a phishing attack um, and getting the login to your financial systems or data. Um, it's very lucrative on the black yeah. market. It's and we're so getting or more than the bigger uh, companies. Right. And we're getting those every day, right? I mean, there isn't a day that doesn't go by that I don't get one of those phishing emails. Can you touch on the the insurance part real quick? So let's say somebody, you know, a small business gets um, hacked and, and then there's uh, ransomware. Um, you know, I, I think this is part of the component that maybe a lot of people don't see or quite understand. I think, um, you know, cybersecurity touches everything like uh, MVCA, Michigan Venture Capital Association is a nonprofit. It affects associations as well. And the understanding I keep hearing is that the the cost for insurance is, is extremely high and the paperwork is daunting. Is that, am I right? Am, is that a myth? Um, do you help with any of that at all? Or what, what kind of advice might you have in that realm? Um, well, so if you're going to go get cybersecurity, right, um, you insurance, you yeah. there, you know, a year ago, or even even a year ago, you could just self assess, right, you check a box, and um, you self assert that you had some cybersecurity tool on your systems. Right. Uh, the underwriters obviously have gotten pretty swift <laughs> after writing some potential checks for millions of dollars, because they may not have the right tool set. So a lot of companies and customers now are hearing that they have to have um, a password manager, um, two-factor, yep. um, single sign-on, the ability to scan um, across the endpoints and the device. And so that is where our partners and Judy come in because she does check all those items allowing a customer to get a lower premium in their cybersecurity insurance. Without it, many insurance agencies now won't give you cybersecurity insurance. So, you know, it's putting your organization at risk. Um, but if you do have the right tool sets in place, then your premium is low enough that as a business owner, you can afford it yeah. um, and not break the bank. The other thing you don't want to do is wait until you're breached to get the cybersecurity right. insurance. Cause it's almost like uh 
when you have a car accident, right? Uh, right. If you waited to go get your insurance after a car accident, your premium is going to be much higher. So it's the same industry. It's just a different policy named cybersecurity yeah. insurance. Well, let's, let's, um, this isn't doom and gloom, but it's certainly a scary topic, you know, for, for a lot of people, but I want to switch gears just a little bit too. And let's, let, before I talk to you as an entrepreneur and, and I want to get some sort of final advice from you, uh, Adea has had uh, some good news in 2022. And I wanted you to, to share that with our audience. Um, uh, Adea became connected with Black Entrepreneur Day. Talk a little bit about what that experience and, and sort of what happened. Yeah, so um, the city of Detroit has been great about promoting local businesses of uh, all different sizes, especially small and medium-sized businesses that are headquartered in downtown Detroit. Uh, because of their relationships, and uh, the program is called Buy Detroit, they um, were able to work with Damon John from Shark Tank um, and uh look at the portfolio of companies that are registered in Southeast Detroit. Um, him and his team have uh, selected nine organizations that in 2022 uh, will go to the Apollo um, and actually get to meet him and pitch to their team. So it's another way, even though, yes, he is part of Shark Tank, um, he has a very... Uh, firm principle that he wants to give back to um, organizations, especially right. minority owned. Um, and he really enjoys what he's seeing in Detroit. So for 2022, yeah. uh, Adea and nine other founders will be going uh, to the Apollo Theater in New York. I'm sorry, in Harlem. Um, and, uh, you know, be part of the event and present to him. And then the output of that in 2023 um, a subset of us will be going to DC. Um, and so getting to work with him and his team, um, is, uh, pretty, pretty amazing considering how busy yeah. he must be with his, uh, business and, um, what he's doing with sharking. Well, definitely. Congratulations. That's exciting. I'm sure we'll read more about that. And, you know, and certainly in the, in the, in 2023, I want to switch, um, uh, Rafael and just kind of talk about a couple of things with you as an entrepreneur as we kind of wrap up uh not cybersecurity related but you've certainly have a background that um is extensive in in running your own business for for those that are listening that are a a, a startup or a budding entrepreneur and they want to be a founder maybe touch on a few items that you think founders should have in their toolkit in their back pocket um, if they're going to go down this road. We know it's not an easy road. Um, it, it can have failures, successes, and whatnot. But with your advice, like what would what advice would you give? Well, you hear all the positive things, right? Yeah. They're going to be a billionaire. They're going to be that unicorn. Um, and yes, those things happen. I think for anyone that does really want to get into this entrepreneur, startup, founder world, uh, I'll kind of say that, you know, the, the three to five things that I tell all everyone when they ask me what it's like, you're going to get a lot of no's. You're going to get so many no's right. that you probably have a better luck going to Hollywood and becoming an actor uh, <laughs> because it is really 
establishing yourself and regardless of who you are um you know you 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 are starting from ground zero so you have to remember that even though even yes i came from duo got it i had that background i have cybersecurity. i still had to prove myself this wasn't a you know slam dunk and it still isn't you know you still have to prove yourself every day as a founder and as a company right. so lots of no's to the point where it may not be something you're comfortable with and you know but if you do get no's the important thing to remember is why ask why through a uh, collaborative lens so that you can jot down the notes think through it and maybe it's an adjustment on your product your company or even your pitch right so and and a no maybe isn't a no i've had investors and customers say no and then three to six months later when you check back they're yes so you know because you've made those changes or you've shifted so as a founder uh, the only thing that's constant is change. It really is. Um, yeah. And that you have to be comfortable with. So that's number two. If you think your day is going to be perfect every day and you, you're you're going to do exactly what you thought you were going to do when you wake up in the morning versus what goes into the bed, by hey, time for you to go to bed, this isn't the, the path for you. It is always changing. Um, there will be technology issues. Uh, when you start hiring team members, people issues, um, and if you're not used to being a manager, that's a whole nother realm of, <laughs> well, you're now managing people, right? Versus just yourself. Um, and then, you know, you have to think through a lot of things that puts the organization over everything, even yourself at times, right? And the hard part is, you know, people always say it's lonely being a founder. I don't know if I agree with that in the sense that, if you surround yourself with other founders and have the ability to talk to them, you're not alone. If you think you're going to, you know, turn internally and talk to your team or your family as support for whatever is going through your head, that could be a mistake. Um, because again, things change so quickly. So you don't want the team distracted. Um, and you don't want to ruin your personal relationships, right? I mean, that's the other part of this that, um, your family can't be, carry the burden of your startup. So they don't necessarily, I mean, there is, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, one that really cross, uh, crosses over to any kind of industry. I mean, you've got to have peers to really talk to because in some instances, they're the only ones that understand what, what you're going through. And by the way, they're the only ones that may want to listen to you. Right. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> your yeah. family may get a little bit tired of hearing it and and not necessarily your your team doesn't necessarily want to hear you complain about it about it as well. So that that's an excellent excellent advice. Speaking of which, how big is the Adea team now? Uh we are with full-time and contractors, 30 team members. Um predominantly <laughs> majority of us are in Michigan, but we do have because of the pandemic, we've hired some team members from McAfee and FireEye that are in Texas, um, as well as California. Excellent. And team's important. I know we've talked about that yeah. you know, offline a bit, a bit too. Raphael, I thank you for doing this. We've, we've run out of time, believe it or not. And this was terrific. We wish you a day, uh, and, and even future, you know, th this is what's nice about talking to a Michigan founder is that, uh, there's always more to come. And so I'll be excited to watch what you do, you know, five, 10 years down the road. And, um, and hopefully you'll still be here. 
So I'm, I'm sure I will be. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Raphael. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's show and hope you enjoyed it. We have other great past programs that I invite you to download and listen to as well. If you'd like more information about Michigan Venture Capital Association, I invite you to visit us online at michiganvca.org. Until next time.